So he redeems your life from the pit. So not only does he get you out of the pit of despair, but he crowns you with love and compassion. Okay? God's will for your life, and this is all to just help some, somebody get free in here. God's will for your life is that you would be not only his child and accepted, but that you would be royalty, that you would be treasured, that you would be honored because of what he has done for you. So you don't put a crown on yourself. He puts a crown on you. And it's not a crown of diamonds and jewels, not because they're not nice, but because he has something better and more valuable and more lasting, and that is love and compassion. When you look in the mirror, you need to be able to see God's love and compassion as a crown. And what does a crown do? It identifies. It gives you identity. When you're in a crowd and you see a crown, you know that that's the, that's the king, that's the queen. You see the tiara, tiara you know that's the quinceanera, <laughs> or you know it's the princess, right? And compassion. He desires, because you belong to him now, if you've trusted him with your life, to have that compassion on you. He's, he will not accuse forever because of the cross, okay? Verse 5, this is one, one of the benefits again. Who satisfies, who satisfies? He satisfies your desires with good things. God is looking to give you, according to his will and for his glory, and your pleasure, the desires of your heart, okay? That is his goal and his joy. We have a reason to praise him. Let your soul not forget. Why does he want to do that? Once again, it comes back to life and peace. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If you're in here right now, and maybe this year so far, maybe this week, maybe you are past what some would call midlife, and you don't feel young anymore, or maybe you are young, but the word tells us even you grow tired and weary. God's goal is to renew your youth right now, okay? So if any of this applies to you, which I'm sure it, it applies to everybody here, we're going to take a moment, and we're just going to address this right now. Is that okay? You guys came here to encounter God, not Cole, right? <laughs> so this is what we're going to do. All right, guys, let's just close our eyes for a second. And to ask God to do this. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you to do what you've said is your desire, Lord. For those that are here right now who are eat up with their sin, we ask now that as they receive by faith the blood of Jesus, that they would know in their soul and in their head that their sin is forgiven and is no longer remembered. And it's as far as the east is from the west. God, we pray that you would heal the diseases that are in here, all of the discomforts, God, that come from thinking that life is not theirs, but you said it is in Christ, and it's your joy to give it. We ask that you would heal diseases in this room right now. God, for those who are in despair, who cannot see the light because they're down in the pit, God, we ask that you would be the lifter of their head now, right now, in Jesus' name, that you would redeem them. Lord, I know you have done it, but Lord, we pray that they would experience it now. And God, we pray that each person that is struggling with identity in here, that their identity would be in Christ right now, and that they would 
literally feel you placing that crown, that royal crown of love and compassion on their head. As you take the throne of their heart, you go on the throne, Jesus, and they get a crown of love and compassion. God, I pray for those who are uh, weary and worn out. They've been working hard, raising families, trying to get out of debt, do everything right, and they are just tired. God, we pray that you would, in this season of vacation, we pray right now that you would satisfy their desires, their God-given legitimate desires with good things, not bad things that lead to further death and stress, but good things that are from heaven's storehouses. And God, I pray for those who feel that their youth has been stolen from them, that they would remember that now their sins are forgiven in Christ, and that you would restore their youth right now, God. Right now, just as you sent Moses and Aaron at the age of 80 and 82 to deliver the Israelites, Lord, that you would right now renew the vision and the youth in this congregation and everybody listening on the podcast in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys ready for the message now? (laughs) Thanks for bearing with me. I sure do appreciate it. And I'm so proud of you guys for being here this morning. There's so many places you could be that you chose to come to the house of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Everybody just say it with me. Let me know you're on the page. Jesus is alive. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay, Macedonian Call, Series 3. The title of this message, which if you want to turn to Acts 17, 1 through 9, is called Heaven in Thessalonica. Heaven in Thessalonica. Acts 17, 1 through 9. So we're going to recap real briefly what has been talked about so far. So on June 10th, Pastor Rollin taught from Acts 16, 1 through 10, and he taught three things that we need to know based on this missionary journey. And the reason we're talking about missions is because it is summer. That's when a lot of people go on missions or they go on vacation. And so we want to prepare because God wants to prepare this house at Second City Church for the mission, not only locally, but the mission that he's calling us to, to Luxembourg, to Dominican Republic, to Sierra Leone, uh, France, everywhere that he's calling us to, the other neighborhoods in the city. So he wants us to know, uh, based from Acts 16, 1 through 10, number one, to whom God has called you. Number one, God has called you to himself first. You can only proclaim what you know, and you can only give out and feed what you have already ingested and like made a part of you. So God, I want you to know that. Number two, to whom God has called you to minister. God wants you to know the vision. He doesn't want you to be uh, confused. That is not God's will or lackadaisical. He wants you to know. God is not mysterious in the sense of he's confusing. He's mysterious in the sense that he's eternal and we're not. And so it's hard to grasp, okay? Number three, with whom God has called you to minister. I'm really encouraged, guys, because uh, even though we are a, a citywide church, people come from all over the city and the suburbs, people have been started to like come closer to the epicenter of where we meet at on Sunday mornings. Uh, I see some of you smiling because you have recently made the move and whatnot. And I think that's awesome because you're starting to realize to whom God has called you to minister with. And then Pastor Jim LaFoon said, find your people, find your purpose. I'll quote it again. Find your people and find your purpose. Okay, then on June 17th, Pastor Ron led us through Acts 16, 11 through 40 where we learned that our Heavenly Father, because it was Father's Day, we learned that our Heavenly Father takes time to teach us. 
just as Paul was exhibiting the Father's heart and went down to the place of prayer and reasoned and conversed and spent time with Lydia down there. She was the first to come. And then there was much that happened after that. He takes time with us. He's not uh, uh, rushed, and he doesn't press us. He encourages us, and he convicts us to do the right thing, but he doesn't press us. He takes time to teach us. And number two, he delivers us from demons. Remember the girl that was demon-possessed, that was fortune-telling, making money? She was a slave and, uh, by people, and she was a slave to Satan as well because she was demon-possessed, and she got delivered. And then Paul and Silas went to prison. After doing all this good work, they were rewarded by going to prison. That is a crappy reward. But you know what? They weren't looking for the reward here. They were looking for the reward in, he- their reward in heaven to come. So when we're on mission, we cannot just judge our success by the immediate of what's in, in front of us as, as regard to our circumstances, okay? All right, so uh, we're moving on now to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. So uh, as a recap before we read the scripture, what had happened was they got released out of prison. Uh, the prisoner, the prison guard, I'm sorry, had come to know Jesus he was baptized. His whole family had come to know Jesus as well, him and his whole household. Um, and then there was a big, uh, <laughs> a big brouhaha over the, them getting put in prison, and they were Roman citizens, and so he demanded justice. Paul did. Uh, but finally, uh, the Roman soldiers apologized to them, and, uh, and they came out willingly. Um, and then they left, and they went on a three-day journey. Even though they were already in Macedonia, you've got to remember this is the Macedonian call. There was the vision from God. They were called to Macedonia. So you would think, at least I would think in my natural understanding, as long as I am in Macedonia, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't need to think more about it. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. So I'm just going like, to find somebody. Like, who's right beside me? I'm just going to share the gospel with them and move on. And that is good. As Pastor Ron always says, you have a green light when it comes to the things of God that have already been disclosed in Scripture until you have a red light. But we know, as we read, they got a red light, remember? They weren't supposed to go to Asia. Uh, The Holy Spirit said, nope, you're not going there. And then there was the vision to go to Macedonia. So they had to stay, key word here is focused, okay? So they skipped through two cities that they could have stopped and spent time in, but they didn't. History tells us that they maybe spent the night there because they were just a journey's, uh, a day's journey by foot between these cities until they finally made it to Thessalonica. Now, there's an epistle in the New Testament, Thessalonians, which Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the people in Thessalonica. So, what is Thessalonica? Thessalonica was the capital city of the Macedonian uh, region over there. The population was roughly, depends on which historian you're looking at, was roughly 100,000 people to 200,000 people. Okay, let's put that in context for cities back then in that day. It was 10 times larger than most of the cities that were around it. Okay, so it seems very strategic, right? In the flesh, you want to go to the places you have the biggest impact, right? Why do people come to Chicago if they want to make a name for themselves? There's more opportunity. That's why they go to Chicago and not, you know, a little 20,000-person town, because there's more opportunity. But we're going to find out that there's more to it than that. Okay, so Acts 17, 1 through 9, we'll read it through, and then we'll talk about it real quick. So now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia... 
they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So guys, as with the word of God, it is endless and it is boundless. It is like swimming in the ocean and then trying to bring back a thimble, as we talked about before. Uh, it's just you don't know what to pick out. But I felt like for us right now at Second City Church, there are four things in this season of preparation for mission that God has for us. Um, they're not going to be on the screen, so I'm going to say them uh, twice, okay? Four points. Number one, the heavenly vision. Number two, the heavenly source. Number three, the heavenly message. And number four, the heavenly response. So again, number one is the heavenly vision. Number two, the heavenly source. Number three, the heavenly message. And number four, the heavenly response. And so in some things, Scripture is, is very clear in its, in its application. I feel like what the Lord wants us to get out of this. And so uh, the Lord wants us to know that point number one when we look at this Scripture, that, that Paul and Silas were being obedient to the heavenly vision that was giving them. As we read earlier, there was a vision to go to Macedonia. Macedonia, guys, when you look at it historically, was like 400 miles from where they were. There were much more convenient places for them to go to. Now, what I'm not saying, and what Scripture is not saying, is forsake the people around you and go, go somewhere uh, else that is harder to get to. That is, no, we should always be ministering the gospel to those who are right around us and our families um, and our neighborhoods uh, and our schools. Like for us specifically, yes, we are called to share the good news of Jesus and serve the people of Lincoln Park, right around where the church is meeting at, uh, the students of DePaul, where we have students at, um, in each neighborhood that each of us lives in. Also in our workplace, yes, we are called to minister because God suddenly has placed us there. So the point here with the heavenly vision is that we should always be seeking not just what seems right in our own eyes or convenient, but we should be seeking from the Holy Spirit who is speaking very clearly and specifically to us where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do.
okay? Even if it seems extremely inconvenient and expensive, okay? Why? Because when it comes to God, does it matter how much a plane ticket costs? Can I get a witness? Somebody's been on a mission trip and raised money before, and people were like, I would love to send you there. And you're like, oh my gosh, the money came in. I didn't think it was going to happen. That was amazing. So we cannot rule out the vision just because we don't think we have the resources of time, talent, or treasure to go there. So they did not go to the capital city of Macedonia because it was ten times larger in population, so there were more people there. They did not go there because it, it was the capital and had influential power. Uh, they did not go there because it was convenient, <laughs> that's for sure. But the point to take away from this is they went there because God called them there. Okay? So number one, as a church, we have to know the vision that God has called us to, locally and extra-locally. Right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So practically, the vision, the heavenly vision for us at Second City Church is to share the gospel Number one, our Jerusalem is Chicago, right? That is the city that we are in. So that is our first uh, priority outside of the interpersonal relationships we have with family, friends, coworkers, okay? So Jerusalem, Judea, that's the region. So that would be like the suburbs and around here uh, locally, maybe even Illinois, depending on where we go from there. Maybe the college campuses, the places of influence that are around us, the bigger cities. Okay, Samaria would be like the United States, our country, where our borders are at. God has called us to plant churches. If anybody was ever wondering, God has called us to plant churches, and he's going to help us do it. And then the ends of the earth. As some of you know, last year we went to Luxembourg for a scouting trip right? So in two weeks, uh, some of us who feel called are going back to Luxembourg to start sharing the gospel. So let's bring context to that real quick. What we're talking about here in Macedonia, in Thessalonica, this is Paul's second missionary journey. Paul went on three big missionary journeys, and then he would come back around to check on everybody and to see how they're doing and to build them up and edify them, to encourage them and teach them. So because of the connections that we have in Luxembourg, that is why we are going back there. Why? Because we want to be like God, made in his image, and we want to be builders. We don't want to be drive-by evangelists and just, you know, leave people to chance. No, we are called to go back, and when we see weeds, we are called to pull up the weeds that strangle the growth that are there. So, Luxembourg or uh, Dominican Republic or uh, Sierra Leone, these are not uh, frivolous, and they are important to God. Amen? Amen. Now, one thing I will say, because... The Holy Spirit, when he speaks to us specifically uh, in terms of either our personal lives or in terms of just mission, what he's called us to, he still, of course, 
will always line up what is in the written word of God. So I don't want you to sit here and think that unless you have a very clear vision from the Holy Spirit and you know it's from him, that you're stuck. Or that um, he's going to uh, go against what the word of God has already said. Now, in the other places that they skipped over on their way to Thessalonica, as I was doing the research, there didn't seem to be any Jewish synagogues, based on what I saw, in those other places. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because God has a certain way of doing things. And God always, in uh, Romans 1.16, if you have it up here, Paul knew God's particular order of doing things. And Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So it's for everyone. To the Jews first, and also to the Greek, or depending on what translation, and then, and then the Greek. So I think maybe in God's plan and what Paul knew, he's like, okay, this makes sense why you would call me to Thessalonica in Macedonia and skipping through these verses because you want to go to your people that you've already chosen first and give them the opportunity to be a part of what you were doing. So that is something we always want to be aware of. The principle there is always compare it to what is in Scripture and, and make sure that it fits. All right, some other Scriptures to support seeking the vision and not just doing what seems easy or convenient. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Okay? Who's the best counselor ever? Jesus! Right? The Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. So who can give the best vision if we would just stop and ask for advice? The Holy Spirit. Guys, ask for advice. He wants to talk to you specifically. Not just in where to go for missions, or like, should I go to Luxembourg or should I go to Dominican Republic? But where should I take a job at? Who should I marry? These are all things that are not clear in Scripture, so you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to you. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It is okay for you to have plans in your heart. You're not grieving the Holy Spirit if you have plans in your heart, okay? Let's get that clear. But you need to take those plans that are in your heart and you need to lay them on the altar and see what the fire of the Holy Spirit wants to do with those plans. Does he want to burn them up because they're off? (laughs) Or does he want to empower them and breathe life onto them and say, yes, go, this is it. So I just encourage you to lay those plans on the altar. Okay, um, and then Pastor Rollins, it's not scripture, <laughs> but he says you have a green light until you have a red light. Um, and this is when we were wondering if we should act on something general the Lord has told us to do in his word. So if you don't have any response from the Holy Spirit while you're asking, but the word has already made it clear, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, then just go somewhere. Unless the Lord says don't go there. Do you get it? It's easier to steer a car that is in motion than a parked car. Very practical. All right, so that is the heavenly vision. We need to seek that. But what it is for Second City Church and what God has put on Rollins' heart 
just like God put it on Paul's heart to, to go to Macedonia, is, first of all, until we get our own vision, we partner with the person who has the vision. And in our midst, there's Rollin, there's uh, the Lopez's you can talk to about missions. Uh, we've got some people coming from France, Matt and Christy Rash, later this month to speak. Uh, you can talk to them. So if you don't have the vision, partner with somebody who does have the vision, and then you can lay that on the altar. So that's number one, get the heavenly vision. All right, number two, the heavenly source. The heavenly source. Okay, if we've come to Jesus because Jesus is alive, he is not dead, he is not a memory that we conjure up in our heads when we need to feel good, he's not a saved YouTube video that we watch when we need to laugh, Yes, I have. You guys ever done that? You have a video that you love, and like when you feel bad, you just watch it. It makes you laugh. I'm the only one? Okay. So he is not that. He is alive. And so because of that, the word that comes from his spirit, the Bible, is alive as well. And it needs to be the source for all of our evangelistic efforts. It's the word of God. They overcame by the, by, the, uh, by the word of God and their testimony, okay? So it says in, uh, back in Acts again, it says that Paul went in, as was his custom, so he had a certain way of doing things, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. The key word there is from the Scriptures. He didn't go in and just start... Uh, sharing his, uh, his testimony or what he thought was right or what he thought the gospel meant. No, he went back to the word of God that has endured the test of time. Now, in terms of missions and evangelism, we want to lead people to the right gospel. In our culture today, there are many variations that are not found in the time-tested word of God about what the gospel is. We don't have time to go into all the different ones. But the point here is, if we want to see the nations know Jesus, and we want to see it grow in our generation rapidly, we should do the same things that they did back then and apply it to our context. And so we need to go to the source. Now, when it comes to context... Paul knew that the scriptures were authoritative to the Jews and used them to renew their minds. Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So when Paul was there with them, he knew, okay, these are Jews. I was Jewish, so he had some connection there. They do not understand that the Messiah had to suffer, die, and be raised again. Their expectation and their understanding of the scriptures was that he was going to come as a military leader and not deliver them from sin, but deliver them from what they saw as their oppressors of the Roman Empire. So I came from North Carolina, as you know. We had this saying in North Carolina when we were sharing the gospel with other people in the South. We said, you got to get somebody unsaved before you get them saved. What the heck does that mean? In, in the Bible Belt, a lot of times, everybody goes to church. Like, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not, you just go to church. And so, yes, somebody, they're saved. They're like, yeah, I go to church. It's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, have you repented of your sin? Have you given your life to Jesus? They're like, 
I don't really know anything about that. So you had to educate somebody who said they were saved about what it meant to be saved. So you have to know your context. Okay, now if you're planning on going on any of these missions trips that are coming up and whatnot, or you just want to be uh, effective around you, you need to know the scriptures. You need to know what the gospel really is, not just what uh, you believe it is there. So Paul knew that the scriptures were authoritative to the Jews and used them to renew their minds like Jesus did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember, he spent the evening with them. He was teaching the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after he resurrected about the Old Testament so that they would know what it meant to have a Savior. Okay, Amos 3, 6 through 8. I got it up. Okay, why do we go to the Scriptures? Because of the Word of God. Why are they the Word of God? What does that mean? So Amos 3, 6 through 8 says, Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? I love that, guys. The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. If you want to know what God has said, go to what the prophets and the apostles have written down. And then Ephesians 3, 4 through 6 says, When you read this, talking about the letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the point here is not for me to explain to you what the gospel is at this time. We can talk afterwards. But it's to know for yourself from the scriptures, like study them, so that you have the right source when you're going out to make disciples like Paul and Silas were. All right, so number three. The heavenly message. So there was the heavenly vision that led them to the right place so that they were where God was wanting to work. There was the heavenly source so they knew that they were giving the right message and they weren't just speaking out of what they thought was correct. And then number three, what was that heavenly message that Paul was sharing with them? So Paul knew their main objection would be the misunderstanding of the scriptures, missing the fact that the Messiah needed to suffer, die, and raise from the dead. And so the heavenly message is always the gospel. But as we continue to read, and Ron will talk more about this next week, uh, after he left Thessalonica, he went to Athens. Okay, Athens was not a Jewish place. There was lots of philosophers, Stoicism, um, and other philosophies that were there. So he didn't even really bring out this, the scriptures to begin with. He started to use what they could see around them, what, what um, theologians will call general revelation, meaning you see the stars, you see the moons, you see creation, you see that there's an order to it, and then he started to narrow it down from there so that they could know that, okay, well, if there's a God that created all of this, what is he like? And that comes down to what theologians will call special revelation. Okay, You know that there's a God. Now, what is he like? Who is he? And then he says, you worship the unknown God, and this is what he is like. And then he brings in. So you've got to know your context and where you're at and who you're talking to. But when Paul was talking to them, which 
to the Jews, which he finally got to, to the Greeks in Athens, this is what he said. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53. And he probably used more scriptures than this. But this is the main one we go to in the Old Testament that tells us about Jesus. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. You can see where Paul would be going by reading this, telling them like, hey, this is not just for you. This is for the Gentiles too. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been, been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, Unlike a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. So Jesus came up not as a king as they expected, but he came up as just a commoner. You know, no beauty, wasn't great looking like you would expect a king to be or anything like that. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So there were a lot of people in that time in the synagogue that were basically disappointed because they were under you know, Roman oppression, they couldn't really worship freely, and they had just grown weary. And they, they needed to know that their God understood. And so even the Old Testament lets us know that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he understands when you're going through that. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and they were all spitting at him, jeering him, and whatnot? They were saying, like, you know, if God's happy with you, come off the cross, basically. And so they thought he was despised by God, which the Old Testament said it would be like that. But he was pierced for our transgressions. It wasn't his. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So he had to explain to them that the reason that the person you thought was coming as a majestic king, I'm telling you, you were wrong. He came to go to a cross and die because you needed it because of your sin and your griefs and your sorrows and your diseases that needed to be healed. He took all of that, which is yours, upon him. So they were completely wrong in thinking that he was receiving punishment from God when he was taking our punishment. So he had to renew their minds so they could come to a place of repentance and see that it was for them. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep, that before it shears a silence, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. So these are all prophecies that were fulfilled, right? He was crucified in between criminals, like they were, they were, they were thieves. 
he was crucified between them, so um, he was with them, with the wicked. But then Joseph of Aramea, he gave his um, cave, basically a burial chamber, for a rich man. It was brand new, it had never been used before, to Jesus to honor him. And so that was the fulfillment of that. So he used the prophecies to renew their minds, to say it was fulfilled in Jesus. Um, Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So simply, Paul used the prophecies to renew their mind. Just like when we're sharing Of course, we share our testimony, but we should also use the word of God and what he has already done and proven to help renew people. We reason with them, okay? All right, last point. It's hot in here. The heavenly response. All right, what is the the response that we're going for when we're sharing the gospel on these trips? And then what is the response that can happen and you should be prepared for it because... All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be hardship. There will be rejection. Okay? To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. It is to be a little Christ in that sense. And he was wrongly accused. He was put to death because of the sins of others. So keep that in mind as we read about the heavenly response. So verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded. That is what we want. We want to reason with people from the Scriptures, and we want them to be persuaded. That is the goal. And then they were not only persuaded, and it's like, oh, that is great. I believe it. And then left and went on to do their own thing. He says, no, they joined Paul and Silas. They became a part of the group, a part of the, the band of people that were going around and sharing. That is what we want. But it says... Uh, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But what can happen and what we should be ready for, even though we don't want it, is it said uh, some were jealous. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. So that... That stinks. This guy just put his place, placed his trust in Christ, and you would think there would be a honeymoon period, right? Where it's like, oh, all my sins are forgiven. All my diseases are healed. Yes, this is amazing. The peace of God has become mine, which is true. But then the external circumstance was because he was associated with Paul and Silas, he got dragged into, into court because of it. And so we don't want that to happen, but we cannot share a false gospel that says that, you know, everything is going to be just fine in your circumstances when you start following Jesus, okay? And it says, these men, I'm sorry, and when they could not find them, 
they dragged Jason, because of his association, and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So they had these accusations, and they were right. (laughs) There is another king, Jesus, but they didn't quite understand. They still had a veil, because Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world which means I'm not putting together a military force to come like remove Rome like that. So they were accusing them of treason, but it's because they didn't understand. So therefore, we have to be like Jesus. We have to teach others to be like Jesus. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. They're ignorant about this. They, they didn't catch it. They caught part of it, but Satan twisted it, and they didn't catch all of it. So we have to have mercy on them. <clears throat> and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. So when the gospel was preached, there will either be people that join you or there will be people that persecute you. Very rarely, in my experience from the scripture, is there, um, is there a uh, middle ground, a DMZ, a demilitarized zone. It's either one or the other, okay? But it doesn't mean that we fight. It just means that we're aware of the schemes of the enemy in that regard. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest... They let them go. And so that just even goes further to prove that they thought it was going to be a military, political thing. They're like, oh, you know, it's not a spiritual thing, so we'll just take some money from them, and that'll make them stay quiet, which it would have worked if that were the case. But it didn't. We know that it continued to grow. Okay, so to recap here, Acts 17, 1 through 9, number one, God wants us to know that we need to follow the vision that God gives us as a church. Okay? Number two, We need to use the scriptures, and we need to know the scriptures, along with our testimony. But we need to know what God has already said when we're sharing. Number three, the heavenly message. We need to know, of course, the gospel, but we also need to know the context and how God is bringing that gospel into that context to who we're talking to. And there's training for all of this. And the heavenly response. We know know what we, we want, but we know what what could happen as well because there's an enemy out there and we don't get discouraged by it. Paul went straight on to Berea and he kept preaching after this. He, was, he did not let it stop. Of course his heart was breaking for the people that were being persecuted but he still carried on knowing that God is faithful. Just as Katie said earlier, he will do it. God is faithful. He will do it. Okay, so what, what are the action challenge points to write down, and what do we do with this as a church? Okay, number one, the challenge is to learn what the church's vision and call is for reaching the nations by either talking to somebody that's on staff or that is going on one of these trips, or and visit the website. We have a website, and there's a mission section on the website. So go there and read about the church's mission statement for, <laughs> for missions, the vision statement. So that way you know what Macedonian call uh, we have received and what what the plan is. Number two, study the Bible and learn to preach the good news from the source. I encourage you to meditate on the scriptures, to even memorize scripture, which is kind of lost in our society. We think the, the less we memorize scripture, the more spiritual we are sometimes, when really the Holy Spirit would say, hey, put the word in your heart so that you know exactly what I've said and you can bring it out at the right time and apply it like a doctor does um, medicine. 
So uh, there's a great, great website you can go to. Um, it's called peacewithgod.net. If you don't know, like, the, the bullet points of the gospel and what scriptures are associated with it, go there. It's a pretty cool interactive tool. It's by the Billy Graham uh, Evangelical Association. Check that out. Uh, number three, practice your two-minute testimony. Get prepared. Because even if you're not uh, going to, you know, Thessalonica or, you know, Luxembourg or anywhere, you got your neighbors, you got your coworkers, and most of the times we only have two minutes with somebody. So practice your two-minute testimony. A great tool to help you do that is to go to uh, this website uh, I found where they have a download of a PDF that has like just a series of questions, and if you write your testimony in 300 words by answering these questions, you'll have a pretty accurate, like condensed testimony of what God has done in your life since you've came to Jesus. And then number four, everybody in the church, this is for everybody, should do one of the, at least one of these three things, and that is pray for the missions that God has called us to as a church. Pray about it. Know what they are and pray about it. Number two, give of your time, talent, and treasure to the mission. So be financially invested in it. Like Katie was talking about, the best stock ever is the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will always come back with a hundred billion infinity return <laughs> on it. Okay. Or number three, go. Go. If you've never been on a mission trip, go. At least do it once. At least go once. Your life will be changed, I promise. And if you can do all three, pray, give, and go, do it. Okay? All right, worship team. Come on up. Come on up. We're going to pray and then go back into a time of worship. Well, Father God, we thank you that you have already done everything that is needed and you allow us to partner with you to just to come and be yoked to Jesus. You said your yoke is easy and your burden is light, but you allow us to go with you that we may experience the same joy that you experience when people come to know the living God and they begin to live for the first time, that they are revived from the dead, they are transferred from darkness into light, that they are healed, their sins are forgiven, they're filled with joy, knowing that there is an eternal living hope. No matter what any government is doing or what any uh, job is doing, no matter what oppression or poverty is around them, that there is a hope and his name is Jesus and he will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. There will be a great white throne judgment and all things that bring sin and sickness and death and disease, all the things counter to heaven will be wiped out of the kingdom and only things that are covered in the blood of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit will remain. So Father, we commit this work to you. We commit... Uh, this mission to you, Lord. We lay it on the altar, and you may change it at any time. But for now, we believe this is what you said, Lord. So we ask you to uh, encourage us, Lord, to continue on by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
in a little sweet to do.